2: Restrictions apply.
4: Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this season I'm asking the question how do you grow a teenager in a pandemic? More than ever, teenagers are spending an enormous amount of time online, and one of the scariest manifestations of that is the fear of them being lured into an unsafe situation. The internet enabled a new era of child sexual abuse, and today we're discussing grooming, sextortion, and how to best protect our kids from falling victim to predators in a digital world. Here to talk to me today is Julie Cordova, the CEO of THORN, an international anti-human trafficking organization co-founded by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, and dedicated to building technology to defend children from sexual abuse. But before I speak with Julie, I've invited my friends, Audrey McDermott and Anna Pay, two 23-year-olds who have graciously agreed to have a candid conversation with me about some of the things going on in the teen world that parents may not know about. Recently, Anna brought something up that I found particularly alarming and it actually prompted this episode. As a teen, she received $300 from a stranger in exchange for a photograph of her feet. Do I have that right, Anna?
1: I wish it was that much.
4: Um, (laughs) It was less.
1: Unfortunately, it was $5. All right. That is how much my feet are worth. Yes. But yes, I think if I had found um, potentially more impressive clientele I could have received in the 300 range. I know my friends have sent their shoes for thousands of dollars.
4: Okay. Before, Before we get ahead of ourselves and make every teenager want to do this. Yes. How were you even educated about the possibility of doing this? How did somebody reach you? And how did you know to photograph your feet and get money for them? Cause you know, we're going to, this is going to take us to a dark place. So I'm starting in the PG version.
1: So, um, I guess my story begins when I was 16 years old or so when I wanted to sell some, some shoes that I had from middle school online. And I went and I posted like my flats and things like that, uh, that I was no longer really wearing anymore. So I posted them on like craigslist and facebook marketplace and some weird niche apps for buying and selling things um because i was a broke teenager i really wanted to buy more uh, bundle packs and things like that so i could play my video games um so i finally um got some some responses for my shoes and at first i was like great fantastic these are clearly worthwhile for other people, but then the messages got a little weird. I was now suddenly requested to, to send photos of my feet along with the shoes mm-hmm. and to- Are, Would you say these
4: were foot fetishists
1: me. that were- I, think, I think that that is what we were dealing with indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I told Audrey's joke who was very alarmed and told her mother, who was even more alarmed, who called me and said, How much money do you need? You cannot sell your shoes online. Um, which honestly made me want to sell them even more. Okay.
4: Yes, <laughs> because you're sixteen and you're rebellious and a a risk taker. Well, no, 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 no. First, first to fact check, what
1: happened was oh, they yes. said Thanks. Can we, you send pictures with them? Anna said, no, very intelligently, because they wanted them for free. And she knows what yes. her, her feet are worth when they're photographed. And then they said, would you mind wearing the shoes a couple more times before I pick them up? Uh, yes. And she said, yeah, that's fine. Assuming that he wanted them worn in for his girlfriend or something. Yeah, you're very trusting. I... <laughs> and then finally, the final straw was he said, when I pick them up, can I take them off your feet? Oh, wow, oh, you such a good memory.
4: Yeah, these are crazy stories, Anna. Anna, people would remember the story. We, we would remember uh, these That tracks. has completely slipped my mind, but and honestly. That's why, the, that's
1: why the sale fell through because you said, no, you can't touch my feet. So there was a, even though you were a rebellious teenager, you did have lines. Some boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you didn't do the sale. First of all, there's a huge difference between like feet pictures and selling your nudes, is the first thing I would say because we walk around in sandals all summer and no one seems to care um, slash like, I don't find that a sexualized part of the body. I've never engaged in any of it. And as my bridge to that side of the world, I'm kind of over on the more conservative side of things. But the other thing I would say too is with stuff like OnlyFans, there are girls from my high school that are on OnlyFans. Like, and I don't know how much money they're making, but I think what's tough is it does glamorize. When you read about like people like Bella Thorne, who's like a, you know, former disney star turned netflix movie star she made like two million dollars the first day she opened up her only fans where she was selling pictures of her boobs and can you, that, tell, can you
4: just wait i'm i'm grandma moses what is onlyfans.com i don't even know what that is
1: it's a oh. it's, an, it's a crazy account it's basically like a form of social media where people subscribe to see you posting your nudes and people but it's have, not like, only nudes it's just it, posting like a personal arsenal of content that videos photos nudes. but usually nudes because that's what people pay for typically is it celebrities doing this it's celebrities it's real life down you know your neighbors just any neighbors and, yes
4: um let me ask you guys a question have you ever looked at the dark web before have you ever gone to the dark web
1: i've watched YouTube videos of people going into the dark web am so, we, too scared.
4: You know that you can, you can buy, sell anything, heroin, guns, child porn, yeah. stolen credit cards, yeah. artwork, um, fake IDs. So, you know, my concern is that almost like the feet picture that they can dangle, uh, the carrot of, Hey, how'd you like a really, uh, real looking fake ID. And the teenager goes, "Oh yeah, because then I can, you know, go to clubs." And then you go down that path, and before you know it, you know, you're in some weird sex trafficking thing. <gasps> Is this new to oh, you? Oh gosh! In, in I, mean, I mean, terrifying. I I love the the I love the reactions. It's sort of I feel like you're my own soundtrack to this. <laughs> but you guys haven't been in the dark web. I haven't either. But it's always it's every parent's nightmare. But you do have cautionary tales of people that have um, been used and ended up in the dark web. And Audrey, I know you have a story, which I think is the most terrifying story I've ever heard. Will you tell it? Um, Yes, I would love to. I heard a really
1: cautionary tale about a girl my freshman year of college who um, one of my friends was at school. This girl lived in her dorm. She ran into her in the hallway one day. She was hysterically sobbing. And she pulled her aside and said, you know, what's going on? Maybe November of her freshman year. Um, and the girl's the same year. And she said, well, I'm, I'm leaving campus and I don't know when I'll be back because someone basically put out a hit on me on the dark web. And it had tiered financial like responses. So it was like $10,000 for murdering her, $20,000 if you assault her first 30 if you film it, like horrible, horrible things that were literally every person's nightmare. And the girl had to get the FBI involved. She wasn't even a U.S. citizen. She had to be evacuated from her U.S. campus. I mean, I I would say that is definitely not a normal story. It ended up being some crazy ex-boyfriend. And thankfully, she's safe and nothing ever happened to her.
4: How did she Um, even know that she was on the dark web being advertised like that? So someone
1: stumbled. This is the thing that's so surprising to me. she she had a friend who was coincidentally on the dark web just surfing around seeing what was for sale. I don't think participating in buying, you know, tigers or heroin hopefully, but who knows. And saw her picture because it had her photo, her dorm address, all of her information posted, literally miraculously stumbled across it and immediately alerted her. And she in turn alerted the school who alerted the FBI who put her into protection until she was safe. But the internet is like the biggest platform in in the world. And the dark web is like anything. It can be abused. I mean, it can't really be used for good,
4: um, but it can definitely be used. I call the dark web, the evil twin of the internet. Yeah. I think that's probably pretty accurate. Revenge porn is another thing that keeps popping up. How does a girl guard herself from anything that results in that either male or female ex? Well, I think a couple of things one the it's kind of like safe sex
1: like the the best thing you could do is abstinence and just not take photos of yourself yes or videos of yourself being naked because if it doesn't exist they can't post it when you don't you know whatever and the final thing is you just shouldn't send pictures to boys because they're assholes but I, I think that there are like tiers of justice that can be enacted but I mean unfortunately like you know when you're young and in love you trust people and they can have, exploit
4: that have you guys sent nude pictures even faceless ones
1: i'm not gonna lie i've only done it once which i feel like is kind of shocking for my personality i'm pretty <laughs> i'm really sex positive and i love um you know just embracing my body and and it, you know from promoting female empower empowerment through, uh, embracing our bodies. But now when it comes to nudes, I've always been really kind of freaked out.
4: I you have, can be, you can be sex positive and yeah, you know, my body but, myself, but you know, like we were just talking about, you just, yeah. you don't know what people will do with it. So exactly. But is that a norm? Is that something that, you know, a lot of people that do that? Is that
1: yeah, I mean, I definitely think that a lot of my friends do it much more liberally than I do. I mean, yeah. I would say we are probably in the minority of girls who've only done it one one or two times. But I think for a lot of guys, if a girl they're hooking up with sends a, a nude and they mention it to their friend, their friend will often say, ooh, really? And then, it'll, yeah. then it gets texted around. I don't think it's often posted in an online setting that a random person could stumble across. But I, I've seen in high school and in college like boys have like locked apps where you know, there's the secret yeah. photos. And, and I've seen girls who I know never slept with that guy or sent that guy a photo on that
4: kid's phone. Do people and do, then vi- was- do people do video sex? I oh, mean I yes. Don't know. Oh, and quarantine happens. wait, what? You 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 meet <laughs> yes. somebody online and then you have video sex? Oh god. I, that I he could be recorded. Yeah, I know
1: people do that.
4: Yeah, people do that. I and mean, I don't I, I did not do that. I Anna. want to make that clear.
1: I have not done that. That but seems that's that that
4: problematic happens, yes. to me. That that to me yeah. is something that could somehow get you into trouble. No, because oh God, it's illegal. No, I'm not advocating for that right. for any teenagers at all. As a nanny, this should never happen. Do not <laughs> let your fo- children on the internet. That's firm. Which brings me to um, this question for both of you: How do you think your generation will parent their kids, their teens, when it comes to some social internet?
1: I've thought a lot about this. I really, I'm, I'm so torn. Um, I discovered porn when I was in the fourth grade um, because I tried to spell Jesse McCartney Radio Disney. I butchered it somehow. I asked my nanny who did not speak English to help me out. And she um, somehow spelled it in a way that came up Jesse McCartney nude photos in some way, <laughs> shape or form. Um, and so got on there was like, whoa what is this did you stay on In it retrospect very fo- oh yeah i was whoa what is this? i mean you're a kid kids are exploring their bodies um yeah. especially during those ages and so i had no idea-, idea what a penis was what is this appendage on this male who i admire's body it taught me a lot about how i'm going to teach my child to use the internet and when the child is going to be using the internet i think realistically kids are going to be using our computers much earlier than I even did to be honest um especially my own children as a parent I'm going to just talk to my child frankly I'm just Mm -hmm. going to say you know these are things that are on the internet I'm not going to hide it from you there are things like this I don't think you should watch it it's not appropriate for you you can watch it another time when you're much older and it exists but I don't want my child to stumble upon that, be confused, and then go behind my back to talk to other kids or other parents about it when it is a conversation that's obviously not going to be easy, but it's necessary to have. So I agree with Anna. I mean, I don't, kids and the internet, I don't even, like, even know how to have a, a kid. Like I'm just, like yeah. I'm still in the birds and the bees confusion. Like I have no idea how I'm going to raise them. I don't have a parenting philosophy yet. But yeah. I mean, I was introduced to porn at a, like, co-ed hangout when I was 13 where a boy opened up a computer and was like, this is porn. And it was terrifying, and that is a horrifying experience. I do think that you want to have, like, an open communication on that stuff. My parents had a a thing with us when we were growing up where if you did something wrong or you made a mistake, if you came to them, you could have infinite things called amnesty. Mm-hmm. So you just go to them and you go like amnesty and it was like the equivalent of you know protection from the UN that you weren't getting right. tried as a war criminal in exchange for your <laughs> compliance and information. And so you'd be like amnesty I broke the massive you know 13th century pot in the hallway I'm so sorry knowing that they were going to find out eventually anyways but it developed this habit of coming to them when you're like I'm scared I screwed up I'm confused I sent a nude now I'm hearing this rumor about him about this boy sending it what do I do? And, you know, I think that was instrumental in me figuring out how to run the like deal with the
4: Internet. So make, make, it, did, make it comfortable and free for your kids to come to you. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and make it like there's no consequences. I mean, obviously. The thing is, kids know more about like what's safe and what's right and what's like the conservative mature choice.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We're not going to make that choice most of the time, but we know what the right one is. So the lecture is usually skippable. I mean, have a couple of conversations around it, but I do think that there's a way to like be a parent that knows what your kid's online presence looks like without suffocating them. And that's what I would encourage people to strive for. You just have to kind of prepare so that if something God forbid does happen like that, your child trusts you to know that they can come to you and know that if something really scary happens to them, that you will be there for them and that you'll protect them as much as you can.
4: Thank you. Audrey McDermott and Anna pay. I hope my daughters grow up to be like you. You guys are strong, (laughs) amazing women. And thank you so much for being on my podcast and thank you for helping me grow my teenage girls. I adore you. Yes, Thank you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
2: um.
4: Welcome back with more Go Ask Alley. And now, on to today's expert, Julie Cordova. Julie is the CEO of Thorn. that's T-H-O-R-N, a nonprofit that works to address the sexual exploitation of children. As digital defenders of children, Thorn has been doing an incredible job equipping tech companies with the tools to eliminate child sexual abuse materials from the internet. Julie, you guys are doing the work that should be praised and admired for centuries to come. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on Go Ask and And right off the bat, can you start by sharing the initial genesis of the nonprofit Thorn?
0: How it started, why it started? Sure, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you um, for having me. I'm always grateful for the opportunity to talk about this because sometimes these are uncomfortable subjects. So making them comfortable is the first um, battle that we all need to do so we can talk about this more and get it out of the darkness. Um, so yes, Thorne was created uh, almost 10 years ago now. Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, they were starting their philanthropic journey, trying to better understand um, child sex trafficking. They'd seen a documentary about It happening in Southeast Asia, and then started to do some research into the issue, and realized it was happening here in the United States as well. Um, And as they dug deeper, they really wanted to understand what were some of kind of the risk factors and trends, and what was making children more vulnerable, and really think about how they could use their unique talents and networks and assets to make a difference. And I joined them early in that journey, and one of the things that we saw when we spent about a year or more out talking to survivors, law enforcement, nonprofits, government, was this intense and emerging role that technology was playing, not just in child sex trafficking, but in the growth of uh, technology-facilitated child sexual abuse, and While you were seeing this um, growing role of technology in abusing kids, uh, there was no concentrated effort to actually use technology in a way to stop that abuse, to protect them, to prevent it. And so that was the genesis of Thorne, was looking at, okay, how do we bring the best and brightest minds in technology to bear on behalf of some of the world's most vulnerable children? And, um, And that was the birth
4: of Thorne. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was talking on a panel in Silicon Valley to a lot of big tech company people about sexploitation of girls on Instagram, which to me is a big issue. I just, I I fear for it. And um, afterwards, a lot of the people that work at these tech companies came up to me. They said, you have no idea how bad it is and we won't let our children do it. And I thought, oh, well, thanks for keeping it to yourself and the other thing is that I've noticed with when you talk about sex trafficking and and my 18 year old is um she's the one that told me about thorn and she's mm. uh, she's a big activist and she you know she said the thing about sex trafficking is when I discuss it in clubs and at school everybody thinks it's an international problem they don't think it's a national problem mm. you know people always say oh the sex trafficking you know oh that's in the Middle East or that it's like no no no, no that's right next door. Thank you for Thorne. And here's, I know this is going to be a scary answer, but what are the current statistics of sexual abuse online?
0: Yeah. I mean, what we do know is that the trade of child sexual abuse material is skyrocketing. So in the United States, alone, last year, tech companies reported over 16 million uh, reports of images and videos documenting the sexual abuse of a child. 16 million? Um, mm -hmm. That's in just the United States. And that's only what was found. So, right, it's 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 the tip of an iceberg. Yeah. Um, As far as how much grooming is happening or how much extortion is happening, the numbers are really hard to come by because most kids don't talk about it. Right. So, you know how how do you um, measure something that no one's going to bring to the surface? Mm -hmm. And so, what we do know is that law enforcement is telling us that the number of cases they're working. For grooming and sextortion is on the rise so we're seeing a bigger trend but is that um that's only what's getting reported right mm-hmm. so uh we know it's it's a growing problem how big it is is really hard to measure
4: How has the presence and prevalence of
0: child abuse online evolved since thorn we work on child sex trafficking and we also work on the issue of child sexual abuse material which Um, is the same as child pornography. In the law, it's written as child pornography, but we don't call it that because Mm -hmm. it is the furthest thing from any type of pornography. It is the documentation of the abuse of a child. In both of those areas, uh, the market has just skyrocketed. And, And really that's over the last two decades, not just over the last nine years that we've been working on this. And there's a couple of reasons why. I mean, you, you take crimes that used to be uh, very hidden and it was very difficult to participate in them. So if you uh, were someone who had, you know, a thought about abusing a child or getting your hands on images or videos of uh, children being abused, it took a lot, there was a lot of barriers to try to go do that. And you probably felt a lot of shame and there wasn't really anyone who was gonna tell you that that was okay. Well, the internet has really removed all those barriers. So it's really easy. You, within a few search clicks, you can find it. And not only can you find content, but you can usually find communities of people, if you try, that are going to tell you it's all okay. And they're going to tell you how to get better at finding it. They're going to tell you how to groom kids for it. Um, And so you know, those aspects of the internet have done the same for lots of really good things, right? Like we all can find, you know, recipes that we like and groups that like to grow the plants that we like. And well, it just does the same thing for bad things in the right, world as course. well. Um, so so we've just seen the rate of child sex trafficking increase, but also uh, the volume of child sexual abuse material just skyrocket.
4: How is it not against the law? Why aren't there laws against this? I mean, I know that so, the FBI does, you know, deep dives and and they do make arrests and everything. But how is it possible that there there isn't a full government agency dedicated to blocking, stopping, arresting, making this completely criminal all the time?
0: There are. Um, okay. So, it, know, that's it, a yeah, good question. Uh, it, <laughs> No, 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 no. It, it just, um, it is a, an underground crime. So two factors. One, you, you have to really go look for it. So, you know, it takes a lot of effort to go find the people who are engaging in it. And then second, it's so big. Well, I mean, right. we just can't, we have entire task force across this country, both focused on child sex trafficking and focused on the spread of child sexual abuse material. And they're busy all day, every day. And there's much more out there uh, that needs to be tackled. But there are definitely things that, you know, while the laws are in place, that more resources could be directed to addressing these issues,
3: for sure.
4: So first of all, what is the difference between the deep web versus the dark web?
0: (laughs) Um, Sometimes people use them interchangeably. So for the purpose of our discussion, I talk about uh, the open web and the dark web. So the open web are... The web we use every day. The recipes. Yeah, it's the recipes. How to lose lose three pounds in an hour. Yeah. It can be indexed. So if you Google something, it'll show up in a Google search result. Um, The deep web, which, which is often conflated with the dark web, but they are different, is things that are not indexed. So think about if you work at a corporation, like your intranet, it's not necessarily bad. It's just not indexed on Google, right? right. So it's not, it can't, it can't be searched. The dark web is something different. So not only is that not indexed, but it often is uh, fully anonymized and encrypted and um, And the dark web often was built for good purposes, like national security, um, but has been hijacked um, in many ways for illegal activity, this area being one of those.
4: Well, I've never been on the dark web, but I have heard lots of horror stories about um, people that, for revenge porn or whatever, have put people on the dark web, um, I, I'm afraid to even investigate it for my own curiosity. I'm just terrified of it, just in even saying it. Um, but it is where the majority of child sexual material is circulated. Am I
0: right? Hmm. So we don't know. There ah. is a lo- there is a lot there, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the
3: <laughs>
0: the scary thing is there is a lot. On the open web so uh, going on these sites that we see every single day so an
4: eight-year-old boy if he googled boobies he could pretty much get to child pornography pretty quickly right
0: um, he might uh, if yeah. he if he googled that plus uh, you know a few other terms that are yeah. related to children. Um, many of these companies implement tools to make sure that that type of abuse material is removed, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's it slips through.
4: And what is uh, sex torsion?
0: Yeah, it's like extortion, but related to uh, sex or sexual images. So this is where we see when we talk about teens and and growing teens, really the one of the kind of biggest watch out areas right now. So it is essentially someone extorting sexual images from you or holding something over your head and getting you to participate in this type of exploitative behavior, usually self-generated. So give me
4: an example. Give me, give me a story that you've dealt with.
0: um, Sure. So someone uh, meets a stranger online. So Mm -hmm. perhaps you were talking about Instagram and, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe the sexualization of girls, someone, uh, they have a public account. Anyone could comment on their images. They start commenting on their images. They then get into their DMs. These people build what they think is a relationship, but they really have never met each other. Um, she or he, it happens to girls and boys, um, thinks that this person is their friend. So friends them on multiple other social media platforms. And then all of a sudden, this person starts asking for sexual images. Mm-hmm. Show me this, show me that. They send them an image. And then that person says, I need more. I need a video of you doing this. And, and the the child says, you know what? I'm done. I I'm done. And this person says, well, you know what? You friended me on Facebook. I now have the DMs of all your family and everyone you go to school with. And if you don't do this, I'm going to take all those pictures you just sent me. And I'm going to send them to everyone in your school. And I'm going to send them to your mom. So do it. And then all of a sudden, this child is in a position where they are doing worse and worse documentation um, of abuse. And we've seen cases where not only is it self production, but where they are then asked to abuse a sibling Jesus or, Christ. or someone else um, in, in the home. And, you know, any, anyone is vulnerable, right? We, mm-hmm. we look at, at child sex trafficking and that affects, you know, we can talk about that at another point, predominantly um, a more at risk population of youth this type of grooming and exploitation can really reach anyone who's online so let's let's talk about
4: that who do you feel is the most vulnerable to be targeted for online grooming or sex exploitation
0: yeah so um for online grooming and sextortion It is really any child that is on social media or a connected device or in a um, community, it doesn't discriminate. So uh, any child that uh, can be connected to a stranger or really anyone who might want to um, extort them is vulnerable. When we work on child sex trafficking, we see different vulnerabilities that is much more likely to be someone who has a risk factor of being in child welfare, um, being from a home where there's violence or child sexual abuse, being runaway, homeless. Uh, but those factors don't hold when we get to online abuse and grooming. It really is any child that's on the connected platform. And so they are highly vulnerable to someone who comes along and says, hey, I'll take care of you. And then they start selling that child for sex. And the way child sex trafficking manifests in the United States is that oftentimes these children are sold on escort sites as adults. And so the person buying them doesn't really know that they're 14 or 15 years old.
4: And that's not used as an enticer? I mean, do they use children? I mean, there's obviously going to be people that prefer...
0: Sometimes, yeah, but not the majority. And okay. so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of false narratives out there right now about child sex trafficking in the United States that are really trying to drive fear through communities. But the reality is is that there's some high vulnerabilities that um, are associated with child sex trafficking. And, and granted, it can happen to anyone, but it, it predominantly happens to children who are already vulnerable because of another reason. When we talk about online grooming, we don't see that. It being a similarity. The main vulnerability is, are you online? Right. And, and um, are you putting yourself in a position where you're having conversations with strangers or building those relationships? Do you feel like you don't have a safety net? some an adult or a caregiver to talk to in case something bad happens online. So there, there are very different profiles of what could put um, a child at risk for those two different types.
4: I mean, I'm, I'm like a hawk with this stuff, with my kids' stuff. And still, my daughter, who doesn't do the sexy, sexy Instagram at all, she was on Skype or something, and this thing popped up and said, hey, how'd you like to have a sugar daddy? Which is terrifying. So besides a teenage girl who's doing sort of sexy Instagram, walk me through how a teenager can be groomed
0: online. So usually someone who's grooming a child online is not just grooming one child. They usually have multiple children and they're perfecting their technique. They're seeing what happens. They might be blindly reaching out, like you said, on Skype, or they're watching their Instagram or their social media posts and understanding really what maybe motivates that child. One of the best safeguards to uh, ensuring that a child isn't susceptible is having the conversation with your child before it happens. Right. So if that happens first, before a child has any idea that that could happen, like why does someone say, ask, to ask me for 300 bucks for a foot photo? And they think, oh that's, your point. oh, that's funny, I can make 300 bucks. As opposed to, they already knew the minute they were handed the device that they might get texts or messages from people who they don't know. And those people might try to convince them that they're friends but here's what happens. We're always going to have an open dialogue as the person who's handing you that device. I'm always going to be here for you. Mm-hmm. I am not going to get upset with you. You can't do anything wrong in this environment. That would get me angry. I want you to be safe. Have you found that, uh, that a lot
4: of, um, children that had been vulnerable to this kind of stuff have kept it to themselves, have been, uh, fearful of communicating it with other people
0: and that's why they become victim to it. Yeah. Well, in our yeah. research, one of the uh, main, uh, factors in uh, an extortion or grooming situation, getting out of hand is that the child felt like they couldn't talk to anyone. So, uh, when the perpetrator has that much control over a child where they've isolated them from their family or their friends, um, then it gets bad very quickly. Yeah. Because it's when the kids feel like they don't have someone to talk to Mm -hmm. that they feel trapped. And then the person who is grooming and extorting them is winning. They're going to keep that bind. I feel like
4: we do so much parenting with the real life scenarios. You know, if this uncle or this person, you know, you have to come tell me but I find less and less parents do this with devices. I almost think he, it should be part of the ritual of giving your child their first device is this whole piece of education.
0: A hundred percent. The minute a device is put into the hands of a child, you start this conversation depending how old they are, um, right? And it has to be age appropriate. And then you have it often, so it's not a one and done. You right. Mm the device, you talk about it once a week, you sit down, you say, "Show me what you're doing on those apps. We'd love to better understand what among us is. you know, show me how to play uh, Fortnite and have those conversations. And then at some point, you really have the direct conversation about what the threats are. And I think for many of us who are parents today, We didn't grow up with any of this. So it's scary and it's unknown. We have to remove the fear from it. We have to have these conversations as just normal conversations about how we prepare our children to live in a digital world, think about it, about empowering them, making them more resilient, um, helping them navigate it versus coming from a place of a lot of fear where we're going to shut it down or get really you know, angry because then they don't feel like they're going to have a safety net, right? And whoever makes them feel comfortable online will make them feel more comfortable than their caregiver, or the person who needs to be there to support them as they navigate this world.
4: Now a quick word from our sponsors.
2: we
4: Welcome back to Go Ask Alley. Let's get back to the discussion. What are the suggestions, um, particularly from Thorne about making social media safer? Are there other tools or techniques that we can use to kind of keep our kids from this kind of harm?
0: Much of this is uh, based on kind of age appropriateness. I think one is have the conversation early, have it often. Um, understand what applications your kids are using and understand the safety features on it. So mm-hmm. there are some applications where the default setting is that kids can chat with anyone um, or their accounts are public. So make sure you don't just let them sign up, go in and see, are are these accounts private? Can they not chat with anyone? Can they chat with only someone who's in the house? Can they chat with someone who's on their friends list? Um, go through on a regular basis and have them talk about who their friends are that are on their list, right? So if you've had an agreement that I'm okay with you friending people in this environment, but I want it to be people that, you know, in real life. So once a week, let's talk about who's on that friend friend list and explain to them why, right? So these blanket rules without an explanation of why um, I think are hard for kids to consume, but kids want to be safe too. So if you can explain to them why, um, I think that's important as you go along.
4: So for instance, a 12, 13-year-old, how much do you divulge about a a person that could be grooming them? Do you tell them it's it's for sexual exploitation? Like, how far do you
0: go? Um, Sometimes you have to give a little bit and then see where they go. Mm -hmm. Like, every child's different, right? Mm -hmm. It might it might be based on what they've heard at school. Um, If they're in a group of friends who maybe aren't online a lot or don't talk about these things, they might not be ready for a more in depth conversation, but if they've heard things at school and they're curious, um, you start the conversation, give a little, see what they ask. If they're asking, Mm -hmm. it's, best to answer it factually. And you're a
4: mother as well. You have three kids. So being immersed in this world, what kind of conversations are you having with your children?
0: They're oh, younger. Wow. I know
4: they're younger, but still.
0: <laughs> No, but still, I mean, I think um, I have taken the position of trying to be very factual, mm-hmm. um, straightforward, mm-hmm. non-emotional, um, creating a a safe space so that they know the facts going in and they they feel like they can come to me if anything um, goes sideways with them or themselves. Sometimes I have to take like 10 deep breaths before I go into a conversation because I know a little too much. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't want them to feel fear. I want them to feel empowered. And so I really just try to anchor all my conversations that way. So I have one uh, child who will ask all the questions. And so I give all the answers. I have another who, who won't, and it's just not not even on their radar. So I I just say, you know what, this person, um, may not have the best intentions for you. Um, and, or or we just don't know. And so let's focus on the people we do know and our friends here.
4: I have those, those same two children. And with my younger one, the one that really doesn't want to hear gets very frightened by stuff. You know, we keep it in the stranger danger thing, whereas mm-hmm. my older daughter, who wants to know everything, she could rattle off every sex trafficking statistic <laughs> around the world. Like, she confronts fear by giving me give me all the information. That's my ammunition. Tell me everything. So, I mean, I think you're right. I think you have to kind of uh, create a scenario that's age-appropriate if you're yeah. sort of these learning techniques or telling stories. The other thing I wanted to talk about was... Um, Again, I call it real life. In real life, um, I've had situations where, uh, like, uh, one of my daughter's friends came over when she was 14, and she was asking me all these questions about statutory rape. What does it mean? And how old do you have, you know, all, to, to the point where I was like, this is a huge red flag. This 14-year-old mm-hmm. is asking me questions about statutory rape. How do I look for those red flags
0: online? Yeah. Uh it depends by age, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's also something to, as kids get older, demonstrating that you respect and trust their privacy and balancing their safety. So when they're younger, I go back to some of those maybe like weekly conversations about looking at friends lists or understanding apps. If you've started to do that um, as they're younger, when you get older when you want to respect their privacy and let them do their thing. Um, then it comes down to have you planted the seeds of an open conversation so that instead of actually having their device in their hands and looking at it, you can talk to them and say, have, you know, have you experienced anything online lately that makes you feel uncomfortable? Um, is there any, any challenging texts you've gotten or messages that, you know, I can help you with, um, Maybe red flags especially when we 're in a pandemic is have they become more withdrawn are they in their room alone with the door closed for extended periods of time um, do they seem uh, more stressed or irritable or uh, you know always having their device at a different degree than they used to now mm-hmm. this may not this may mean something else. It may mean that we're in a pandemic in our right. house with our devices all the time. Right, 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 So you have to you have to be careful, but you have to partner that with trying to have those open, non judgmental conversations with the kids, um, so that they feel safe raising concerns.
4: It's interesting. Have you guys discussed uh, at all at Thorn about being in a pandemic and how people are uh, not as strict about device rules right now? and how more and more kids are on their devices much more than they
0: were pre-pandemic. Right. Right. Um, we see all of the ingredients for mm-hmm. it to get worse. The I think we'll have some reflective studies in a, you know in a year from now we get through this and see what it was. But you know, you have more kids online you have yes. more people online, and just as I said before, all the good that has come with the internet, all the bad. So when there's a rise of internet presence, you're going to get a rise of bad things happening. But I, I, I also think, in addition to the perpetrators, you know, and potential perpetrators online, we have to just look at uh, the behavior of sexting. I don't know if that's something your kids have brought up of just how common you know, consensual sexting is. And, and that something that can go from, this is my boyfriend, I actually know this person, and I've chosen to send a naked image can turn bad really quickly when that person decides to send that image on to the rest of the school.
4: Well, I'm glad you brought this up, because I don't understand sexting. I don't understand it. I mean, it's almost like when you know, 20 years ago, people would say, I made a sex tape. Why would you make a sex tape? It's going to end up in the wrong hand. Like nothing good can come from it. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, sexting is something with my own children. I say, there's no reason ever to do this. It will live forever. You know, Harvard will see it. You're not going to Harvard if they get a whiff of this, but also, you know, it's going to end up in the dark web, but it's, it's become so commonplace. And You know, I I also think, I mean, that's child pornography. If you're a teenager Mm -hmm. and you're sending naked photos to your boyfriend, and by the way, the boyfriend, just because his frontal lobe hasn't developed, he's going to show it to all his friends. And it's just terrifying to me, the sexting thing. But when you have adults around you that do it because it's, you know, sexy and cute, somehow it takes the stigma off of it, I think. Or when you see it in shows and, you know, it all seems normal. I said to my daughters, if you ever get sent a dick pic, you bring it to me right away because I will destroy that
0: boy. Yeah. Uh, We, 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 we're doing a lot of research right now with kids. Um, About two years ago, we started looking at this issue because uh, again, we focus on the broad, you know, group of child sexual abuse material. And what we were seeing was that a big, portion that was growing within that, a lot of that is uh, produced by perpetrators documenting hands-on abuse. But what we were seeing was this trend where a large part of it was becoming the self-generated. And it's not all generated when someone grooms you. A lot of it was Happening in this way through consensual sharing. And we went to go look at the studies that were out there and we found that a lot of them were kind of five years old and things moved so quickly. We thought we've got to we got to understand right now what kids are experiencing and try to understand the conversation that might change behaviors or make kids more safe in a situation where this is happening. Right. I'm not sure we're putting the genie back in the bottle, right? Right, right. So in a, in a world where kids are going to do this, how do we make them as safe as possible?
4: E- even with teenagers I know or my own, you can easily see the scenario of, you know, that they they have a boyfriend, they trust him, show me some s- sexy pictures. They do that. Uh, later on, they break up. There's revenge porn, meaning the the boy or the girl uses these pictures against them. It ends up on the dark web, and then you've got the sextortion right there, right? Yeah, oh, she can be blackmailed for this. These pictures she sent to her, you know, cute boyfriend in khakis and a
0: tie, who seemed like the nicest, uh, most honorable boy. It, it can happen um, to anyone. I, our the study we did of kids found that um, about twenty percent of teen girls had shared a nude. Um, one in 10 teen boys had shared a nude, but, uh, over 40% of kids, 13 to 17 had seen nudes of someone else without their consent. So that's nearly half of kids have been shown a, you know, shown a picture of someone else, Mm -hmm. um, on their, on their device. And this gets back to just teaching our kids the idea of consent.
4: So how, how can parents define consensual sharing for their kids when it comes to social media?
0: I think we should start with outlining if you're going to share images of your body and your uh, you know what you consider private, everyone has that differently, just understand the consequence, understand what can happen, even if in that moment in time you firmly believe the person you're sending it to will never do anything we got to help just expand the the realm of possibilities for kids. So let's make sure a child knows that. And then second is um, if you receive an image, asking yourself, was that image intended for me? Is it being sent to me with the intent and consent of the person whose body it is representing? And if not, um, it needs to stop at your device. And you probably need to alert someone, either if you know the person who's emitted it is, a caregiver, someone at your school um, and, and really help stop that.
4: And then the third would be to talk about how it's a criminal offense, child pornography. I mean, do you go into the scare tactics at all?
0: I think that's part of the first conversation, you know, just in a factual way. Like let me just talk to you about what you're going to be coming up against in middle school or high school. You might get asked to share a picture of your chest or your private areas. I want to prepare you with all the facts before you get that question. Um, one, it's illegal. You know, two, uh, you might think you're sending it to the boy who says he loves you or the girl who says um, he loves you, uh, she loves you, uh, but it could go elsewhere. And what? how are you going to feel if the whole school has that picture, right? Like, let's just talk through the scenario so that you can process this before the time comes. Um, so that's one. And then the second is if you are a recipient of that, What is the definition of consent and intent? Um, And so these are just new conversations that we're not used to having that we have to make normal and have uh, with our kids.
4: All right. So as a as a parent and citizen, of course, I want to know how we combat this epidemic, but also because I want to circle back to Thorne. Because you're addressing all these issues. Can you tell me a little bit about Thorne's strategy in working with law enforcement and tech companies?
0: Yeah, so um, you mentioned this at the beginning. We have a bold goal. Mm-hmm. We want to eliminate the trade of child sexual abuse material online in the next 10 years. And uh, we're building the technology systems globally to do that. And we think that there's three kind of key things that we have to do. One is, we're building solutions for law enforcement to help them find children faster. So every image or video that we see online is a child. Um, Some of those represent children who are being abused right now. And some of it's just recirculated content. So, you know, once an image goes viral, it can be seen millions of times. So you have to use data and technology to sift through all those mounds of data, get down to where there's a victim right now and help, Uh, law enforcement, have all the information they need to find that child. So we build solutions for law enforcement to help them do that and get to the kids who need their help immediately. The second thing that we do is every single company, this is when we're talking about the open web now, that hosts user generated content, Instagram, Fisco, Facebook, Flickr, Shutterfly, anywhere you can post an image or a video, I believe needs to proactively detecting child sexual abuse material and ensuring it doesn't go viral on their platform. That is a basic standard, Mm -hmm. I think, for any tech company. And the reality is, is that there's probably 15 to 20 that actually have the systems in place to proactively do this. And yet there's hundreds of companies out there. And so that's an area of work where we've actually built software for companies to make it really easy. So (laughs) they can no longer say, like, I I can't afford to build this, or I don't know how to build it. We've built it. It needs to be used, uh, this software, some other type of software, to detect this type of abuse content, which is also illegal to have on your platform at scale. And so those two areas we build technology, we connect the data around the world so that it moves really quickly, Law enforcement and tech companies have the intelligence they need to find kids and take content down. And then our third area of work is what we've been talking about today is um, there is no technology that you can put in place that can help change behaviors with kids and caregivers that these are conversations that we need to be having. This is why we need to be talking today, because we need to reach moms and parents and dads and caregivers and teachers who are with children to really normalize this conversation And realize that when we're talking about sex ed, when we're talking about developing kids, we have to add in the fact that they are developing in a digital world and they're going to do some crazy stuff. And we need to arm them with the information um, and the security and the resources to reduce the potential harm. Absolutely.
4: God, I agree with you 100%. Is there any kind of software that a parent can use now
0: that we can put in our devices? There are software products out there that you can put on kids' devices or home devices to, you know, detect potential threats. Um, I don't know any off the top of my head, and I think some may work well. My only caveat to that is that I don't think that that type of software is a substitute for the good conversations and the open door. Yeah. Every time you're, child, you're
4: given a t- child a device, you go, This comes with instructions for me. Sit down, <laughs> grab a ginger ale, and let, let <laughs> me talk to you about this. So, um, yeah. Uh, you guys are just doing such great stuff. Is there any uh, government uh, organization that we can write to? Is there any push we can sort of accelerate
0: from our side? I think um, stopsextortion.com is a resource that. Uh I think you know parents can pick up one to educate themselves, two to share with their schools, because there's there's school resources on there of how to start to have this conversation. There's a cute little video on there that makes it really easy. It has cats in it. Everyone loves a cat. Uh, <laughs> well, some well, people some person. people don't. <laughs> I was gonna say some people don't. Um, but it'll make you laugh. Um it really kind of breaks down some of the barriers to have this conversation in a really, really easy way. And then if you or someone you know is being extorted or being groomed and you need an outlet, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has a a hotline. So you call that hotline, you report that. I know I have been approached by many parents who feel like we don't know where to go. If you call your local police department and this is a digital crime and they don't know where the perpetrator is, they might not know how to even handle this. So, reach out to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children if you need help now. Uh, and then, thorn.org has, is our organization, has a ton of um, additional resources and research Great. if you want to learn. Julie Cardua, thank you so much. Well, thank you for being brave enough to to put this on air. It's it's not always comfortable to talk about. Sometimes it can be scary for us parents. Um, I'm eternally grateful for that. Thank of you. Of course. Well, as Sawa says, never look away. And I believe that. So
4: thank you so much. I agree. Thank you. Ah, the power of informing, being honest, and being an advocate. Just recapping some of the main recommendations from today's episode that parents can use for the future. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Alley. Remember to subscribe to Go Ask Alley. and follow me on my social media, Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and Instagram, TheRealAllieWentworth. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.